0: The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. All right, so we're starting a brand new series today. Here's the thing about Ecclesiastes. If you are thoughtful or reflective at any level, better yet, I'll say it this way. If, if life doesn't bother you, I mean, if you feel good about life, some levels, you know, you just not, might not be really asking the right questions. I mean, if you are not once in a while upset or confused about what's going on, then you might not really be observing what's happening, you know. Um, and, and, and yet, the thing about Ecclesiastes is that this is a guy that began to ask, I think, the right questions, but came to the wrong conclusions, and so you see a man who is um, you know struggling with trying to figure out how to live life, how to do life apart from God, even though he starts off very dialed in and um, so um, this book we, we we sludge through in our in the journey with despair and hopelessness and meaninglessness and questioning God and are you even there and if you are, do you even care and so for the next ten weeks we 're going to be uh, slugging it out with this book and it 's a challenge in fact, this book, like Esther, was a book that or one of two books that that the uh, uh, didn't make it into, almost didn't make it into the Old Testament because it, it seemed to be such a faithless book. And the reason why Esther was questionable is that it's the only book in the Bible where the name of God is never mentioned. Though, oddly enough, the name Esther is—it um, comes from the derivative to, to mean hidden. And so you see God behind the scenes in the book of Esther, but not named out directly. So, you know, let me, uh, let me, let me, let me not assume that any of you know anything about Solomon. Other than maybe the name sounds familiar, you know, the wisdom of Solomon is a kind of a proverb we use now in our culture. Um, the you know, as wise as Solomon or as rich as Solomon. But Solomon is King David's son, and to feel perhaps what that means, I don't know if any of you have ever had a father whose shadow you lived under. He was maybe uh, like my poor kids. They must suffer so much, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Any anyway, rate, the thing is, is that so here's. Suppose your dad was this, like, you know, Colin Powell, just a great military hero, and and he also was as popular as Bono. He was a musician as well, and he wrote powerful lyrics and created terrific music that that it wasn't just around the campfire with the family. Let's all sing along, you know. I mean, people bought your your dad's records. Your dad is cooler than you. Let's just put it that way. And and he could still beat you up and your friends on his bad days. He's a killer strategist. He was the kind of guy that could take 12 loose cl- clans and tribes and forge them into a nation and and earn their allegiance. Everything that David had he had muscled through to earn it, he was a guy's guy. He was a, a, a you know a man's man, and and, and uh, he was a redhead. So I mean you know everyone has a fault. And uh, no, not uh. and then on top of that, people sang songs about him, and he wrote poetry that people recited. So he was also like Thoreau. And on top of that, he organized all of the. The priest in rotation, so that every member of the Levi tribe had opportunities to, to serve. He gathered all of the material to build the temple. I mean, he was a, just an incredible guy. Mistakes were made, <laughs> you know. In fact, that's the reason why he's alive, right? His marriage with Bathsheba. Um, but still, how do you follow that? How do you step into that moment when, when uh, you know, your dad dies and now you're supposed to be in charge? Let me uh, give you a, a, a couple of glimpses. Let's go to First Kings chapter 3, verse 5, and we're going to take a, take a look at um, kind of where Solomon starts off, and um, that at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask whatever you want me to give you. I mean... I don't care what stories of a genie in the lamp you might have read. I mean, if God says, hey, whatever you want is yours. Well, if God asked you that question, what would you ask for? Be honest. I mean, this is, let's just, you know, we're, it's safe. You know, no one's going to take names. If God said, I'll give you anything you want, it's yours. How many of you, let's be honest. How many would ask for money? Okay, so, okay one honest person. Thank you. The rest of you, broken liars. And then, um, how many of you guys would ask for power? Or you know, maybe not, maybe a better chin or a dimple, you know, the right way. <laughs> Fame, success. So God's asking you, what do you want? You know, death to your enemies, power, wealth. I mean, that, would you, how many of you would ask for three more wishes? <laughs> what do you want? Three more, three more offers. You know, that's you know, cause I have so many things, uh, you know. All right, so, any anyway, rate, enough with that joke. <clears throat> All right, but here's what Solomon says. Solomon answered, Hey, you know what? You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. And you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child. And do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Wow, I, I love this, that this man who was raised in a palace, he had the best food. This guy never slept out in a cave. He was never afraid for his life. He never really struggled. You know, he never, he doesn't have ashy elbows. You know, this guy is well creamed, lubricated, perfumed, and groomed. So much like me. And, and, um, and so this is not a, you know, I, I don't want to say he never worked an honest day in his life. But, I mean, you know, you, you're the king's son. I mean, what do you really, what do you do all day? But yet, he didn't think that just because of his wealth or his position, that he had the ability to care for and manage and rule a, a kingdom. He was really aware of his shortcomings. And so when God says, I will give you what you ask for, what he asks for is not death to his enemies, not wealth, not power. Just Help me care for the people that are here. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, so God said, wow, since you have asked for this, and not for a long life or wealth for you, nor asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, how wise, so that there will never be, never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be, and more... uh, Uh, moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings, and if you, and, now this is not a, uh, you know, that first part of the promise was non-contingent. I'm just giving this to you as a gift. This is my gift to you is wisdom. Now here's the contingent part, the part that Solomon has to do. And, If you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and had realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings and he gave a feast for all his court. So Solomon is going to get wisdom that no one else has ever experienced. Uh, You know, he's, you know... Einstein plus and um, on top of that he's going to be wealthy and and by the way I think this is what has made most followers of Jesus um, you know we somehow have this idea that if when we pray and ask God for wisdom that we'll get what we really want death to our enemies wealth and power you know it doesn't work that way Um, so God gives Solomon what he asks for the wisdom and then he gives him what he doesn't ask for because he trusts him because of what you know, his condition of his heart, with everything else, like I'm going to give you wisdom, but you'll learn how you you have to use this wisdom to manage everything else. I'm going to give you, but here's the part that you play, Solomon. If you listen to me, if you follow my advice, if you follow my commands, if you imitate my lifestyle, if you live by my principles, I will even give you a long life. Okay, all right. So he has this powerful moment now. You know. Um, you still, I mean, okay, so God told you all this that you're going to be and have. How do you still earn the allegiance of the nation? What do you do? Verse 16, Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, My lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third, on the, the third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby and we were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. And during the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. You know, I. You know, some of you are parents, and some of you have nieces and nephews you've seen grown. I just think, oh my gosh, the horror of waking up to your child who is, you know, cold, you know, and, and stiff, and that that horrible grayish green sometimes that uh, people get when they pass away. So, okay. Anyway, so she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I was, your servant was asleep, and she put him by my breast and put her dead son by my breast. And the next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't much the son that I had born. The other woman said, no, the, the living one is my son. The dead one is hers or, or yours. And, and so the first one insisted, no, the, the dead one is yours and the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king, and the king said, Enough. This one says, my son is alive and your son is dead. While the other one says, no, your son is dead, mine is alive. Bring me a sword. Now so far, it doesn't sound so wise, doesn't he? More like a wise guy in the mafia, you know? So they brought a sword to the king. Then he gave an order. Cut the child in two. give half of one, half to the other. I know I'm paraphrasing. Verse 26. The woman whose son was alive... and was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, don't kill the living baby. Don't kill him. And then the other woman said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave this ruling. Stop. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She's his mother. And when all Israel heard the verdict of the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. So he establishes his credibility with the people. And, uh, you know, uh, some of you have seen paintings rendering this this moment. And uh, I think maybe we even kind of lose the impact of the moment because we already know the outcome, you know, what happened. Um, but uh, incredible, incredible experience for Solomon to have this dream and, the city he was staying at, goes to Jerusalem, connects to God with the burnt offerings which were sacrifices for your moral crimes. The fellowship offerings were to enjoy God's presence. And then he goes to work the next day and, and then the realization of what God had given him is manifested. And I think that, here's, here's the first thing I take away from this thing as a principle. You always end up living out who you are. Period. Period. Um, you know you eventually you give yourself up you reveal who you really really are you know when there's i think the most deception going on usually when you're dating you know you you want to put out that image of you know who you want to be right and then you get married and then you are who you are but but generally see in this in this respect for solomon this moment before these these people is something he could not have prepared for Look, I, I guess to feel this, and then the way I'm reading it, is that Solomon was given something that he did not earn, did not deserve, for God to care for his people. It was a gift. Wisdom was a gift to him. And um, and it was a gift to the people. And... Um, so first of all, again, you, you, you always end up showing who you really are, no matter how much you try to cover it, number one. And then number two, understand that the work of God in your life, this act of kindness to restore us and, and heal us, is meant for us to be a gift then to the communities and humanity uh, that we find ourselves in. So now let's jump over to Ecclesiastes, because this is where it seems, you know, what happened? The story changes. Chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. <laughs> I could just actually stop there because you're going to hear that for uh, 12 chapters. Um, that's it. I recall um, I was talking to a friend whose wedding I officiated in January, and uh, she was going back and forth. Like God, oh, I don't know if I want to get married. I want to. Get, I don't want to be single, but I want to be married. And, and I said, you know, I, I don't understand the conflict. You, you love this man; he loves you. And you know, you know, you're 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 in your 30s, and you wish to get married. He wants to marry. You. Why don't you just get married? I mean, you know, Lily, Lily and I got married when we were 21, right? You know. Oh, it was easier back then. I always... (laughs) Why? think we were lonelier or, you know, more desperate? I mean, what what made you think it was easier? It was just as freaky, weird, and risky, and fearful, you know? And and there is a point to the story. I recall, and Lily and I were almost on the same page, or La Misma Pagina, that um, we were both dating people. Okay, we were both living with people. But the thing is, is that... um, we had gotten to a place where we realized that in, in, in our, our, our quest or our desire for, for love and romance, that we were just not finding it, obviously. But that we realized that even if we made more money or had more opportunities or resources, that it was just going to be the same thing. And so when I met Lilia, I was at that place where you know, I just had dated enough and done enough about, you know, nothing's going to change. I'm still going to have the same kind of empty experience it's still going to feel the same. Maybe instead of, you know, burgers, it'll be a nicer steak dinner. Maybe instead of this incredible sports car I drove at the time, I'll have a more incredible sports car at the time. But but it'll just, it's still a car at the end of the day. You know, you follow? And it's not that we were like, well, I guess we'll get married. But it was like we, we found each other and we were in love and we connected and we dialed into Christ and each other and, and it was wonderful. And we, I, I feel fortunate that we got we hit the wall quick in our experiences. See, Solomon has hit the wall in everything. Everything. He's a connoisseur of wine, he's a gourmet, he's an architect. He is a, uh, 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 I'm not saying a botanist, but he had great gardens. He's an artist in terms of creating. Uh, dance and music as almost like a renaissance man he could experience everything that was wonderful that would seem to give meaning to life and I don't know what's worse to live with the hope that maybe something will make your life feel meaningful or getting it and finding out that you were living an illusion I, I don't know what's worse to live with but for Solomon there was no illusion Everything he had put his hand to. Now again, he had wisdom, so he could, um, you know, plan, direct, create. He had resources, so he, it's not as if he didn't have a budget. I mean, there was nothing he could not have indulged himself in. In fact, I almost want to say it was almost like a level of madness, which I, I'll call this like excessive, over-excessive indulgence. See, some of you think like I have thought, "Oh, if I just have a little bit more of this or have a little bit more of that person, oh, i 'll feel fulfilled. no, you won't you, 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 I, If I could give you anything this morning, I want you to understand, no matter what you think you're going to experience by having a bit more of it, you're not, and what 's worse is the emptiness sometimes or the or the the shattered illusion. That the thing you were pegging your hope on to find meaning or to feel fulfilled is actually not there. Because then then what? <clears throat> and I think, you know, here's, what's, here's the reason why this book almost didn't make it to the canon, as I said before. Because of what seems to be such a, a faithless view of life. I'm going to suggest that Solomon is actually very dialed in, in some ways, to God. But here's what's unusual. In the first passage we read, Solomon uses the word Lord. And you know, you'll see it in your Old Testament Bibles, it's the word Lord. All the letters are in caps, but they're lower, but they're, they're smaller. That's the Hebrew word for God's name. It's abbreviated in many cases just YHWH. Um, to be very frank with you, really no one knows how to pronounce it. No one knows the vows that were supposed to go in there. In Jewish mindset, his name was so holy, they wouldn't even write it. So whether it's Yahweh, Jehovah, who knows? Here's the point. He uses that name to describe God, this personal God that I connect to. In Ecclesiastes, he uses the word Elohim, which is just God, 41 times. It's not that he's given up on God. He just feels God's given up on him. Does that sound, you guys feeling this? Because some of you are the same place. This is why I think maybe this book is helpful because at least what I love about this book as part of the sacred collection of scriptures is that it's filled with questions and doubt. And we have not been honest perhaps with ourselves at times to say, I feel the same way. I know you're there, I just wonder why you don't care for me anymore. It's almost as if he, 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 he remembers Genesis chapter 3 and 4. You know, death and sin and separation from God and forgot all of Genesis 1 and 2. When God said, everything is good that I'm making. And, and humanity in particular, male and female, are particularly good. And, I, I, you know, uh, I think if you are a person, I, I better, I'm, I'm convinced of this, some of you, Some of you have actually thought it was easier to to be insane apart from Christ than to have some of my sanity restored with Christ. Because now you're asking deeper questions. Some of your friends don't even care, right? They wonder why you seem to be kind of bummed out about things. And it's the honesty of asking difficult questions that um, we feel embarrassed of, like somehow we, you know, are disloyal. Um, look, understand that there isn't a question or a struggle that worries God. Like, oh my gosh, they figured me out. I really don't have all power. You know, what I mean, that's not, that's, I don't think God's worried about our doubts and our questions. In fact, you know, what, I, I'm gonna, let me go off notes for a second. Anything can happen. Look, I feel this in a way that I haven't before in a while. Some of us, you are having everything that mattered to you, everything that gave you strength and meaning and a sense of purpose stripped away. You're experiencing pain in a way that you hadn't before. And you're grasping for help and to have some sort of footing, and you're not getting it. And, and it is God's act of kindness that He is forcing you to be alone with Him. And you are sensing a silence from God that you find incredibly cruel, and yet He's trying to build in something into you that lasts forever. Just you and Him is attempting to build in faith in you that is not dependent on any other apparatus, any other support, any other thing. Who are you? If I remove everything from you and it's just me, am I enough for you? The most extreme example of that story would be the story of Job. And in, in Solomon, you know, I, I want to say that Solomon got to this place probably not by accident, by his own choices. I mean, he just sees the meaningless of life because he's done everything over and over. It's like, I've been there, I've done that, and nothing matters. I believe in God. He just seems distant and uninvolved. And if if God is distant and uninvolved, then what's the point of God? Right? Right? See, I don't think many of you, I mean, if you came to church this morning, even if you don't call yourself a Christian, I, I think you, you are at least at a place where you're hoping this makes a difference. But if God doesn't care, and if God is uninvolved, and if God's too distant, you know, classically a deist, right? That's who you are. Then what's the point? And that's where Solomon is. And what makes it worse? Here's what makes it worse for him, I think. It's because he had experienced such a dialed in relationship at one time. Isn't that what makes a breakup difficult? Because you were very, very close at one time with someone, and then, the, then there's a separation. I mean, if you're not really close to somebody and you no longer see them, it's like, oh, all right. Let me go get a torta. You know, you really don't care. That's a sandwich for our Caucasian friends. <laughs> Go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed. Go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed. Go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed. Saturday, laundry. <laughs> you can't wait to go to work again. Come home, eat dinner, go to work, go to bed. You're right. How about this one? Fall in love, break up, be hurt. Fall in love, break up, be hurt. Fall- Twitter, fall in love, break up here. <laughs> Change your Facebook status. Fall in love, break up, hurt. Over and over and over again. Solomon forgets when God says I'm going to make humanity in my image and it's very good. All he remembers is that God said you were dust and you're going to go back to dust. And that's where he's living. Right there. I am dust and I'm going back to dust. And so what matters? Nothing. Verse 3 what does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come home, they return again. All things are worrisome, more than one can say. The eye has never enough of seeing, nor the eye its full of hearing. Who? what has been will be again what has been done will be done again there is nothing new under the sun is there anything of which someone can say look this is something new it's already here long ago and it's, never, it, it's been here before our time there is no remembrance of men of old and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow he's not having a good day is he <laughs> but Solomon is wrong isn't he Some of you want to say yes, but it feels so right, you know. Like you and Mrs. Jones. See, there's like three or four of you that are old enough to remember that. Been there, done that, nothing new under the sun. Why is it that Christians think that's a gift to us? There's nothing new under the sun. That is ridiculous. That is not the truth, and it's a lie. The man who says, Meaningless, meaningless, is probably not a life guide. The guy that says, Where is God? I don't even know. It's probably not speaking perhaps truth that's healthy to our souls. And yet, for some reason, we think this is a gift. Have you noticed how in some communities we disparage all the good things that people do just because they're not believers? Oh, nothing new under the sun. This is new, isn't it? The iPhone? This is something incredible. <laughs> It is not true what he's saying. Maybe what the issue is, it's not that there's nothing new under the sun, but we don't have the courage to create the new thing. Or we don't have the eyes to see it. Or we don't have the heart to appreciate it. We don't have the soul to encourage it. Or we don't have, we're not even free to develop it. And we disparage the efforts of those outside of community. We disparage the efforts of those inside of community. And, and we almost want to absolve ourselves of, res- of the responsibility of making a life and creating a life of meaning and heroism. Um, you know, look, I, I'm old enough now where I, I'm looking at m- so many more birthdays behind me than in front of me. And some of you are in the opposite spectrum do not believe this lie your life matters period you matter and there is too much yet to be discovered and created and new to be done some of it will have a very distinctive God flavor to it and sometimes all of it will be just beautiful and lovely and good and will help many people it matters what we do We know this is not true intuitively. Even uh, Most of you have a Bible on your lap. You have something that's that, that divided in half. And one's called the Old. The other one's called the New Testament. The new agreement between God and humanity. We have a new federal head of humanity called Christ. Here's something new, the virgin birth. No matter how many daughters have told their dads, I've never had sex, I don't understand this. It's just, look, there was only one virgin birth. You know, that's... The, Never happened before, won't happen again. Here's a new command. Christ says, I want you to love one another. This new man with a new covenant that he's bringing. There's new wine. And, and in the scriptures, this is a metaphor for this great new movement of spirit of God, right? There's new creations, 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? God says, look, if you connect to me, if you make a focused commitment to follow me, I will make you a new creation. Here's something new, a guy that comes back from the dead. Physically, literally walks out of the grave. Not a spiritual resurrection, not a mental resurrection, not a resurrection of my heart, but something that's physical and literal. He walks out. That's that's kind of new. I mean, there's, I don't know, i giving me Lazarus but this is a guy that did it on his own comes out by the way have you ever wondered why uh, this is kind of amusing I think it's silly but amusing I-, I love this fact that when Jesus goes to that gravesite to call Lazarus he does say Lazarus come forth because I thought if he didn't say just Lazarus everybody would have come out you know, you know? So, so, just Lazarus sorry <laughs> so close you know <laughs> Okay, I I know there's a special place in hell for me, but this is how my mind works. One too many zombie movies. And I, I, you know... All right. Airplanes are new. The moon landing is new. The internet is new. And and, and the world is still waiting for your new. Look, as we start this journey... For some of us, it's going to heighten maybe your sense of meaningless or despair. For some of you, it might heighten the sense of futility that you're, that you're feeling right now. Here's what I want to caution you before we go on this journey. Because it is kind of dangerous. It's risky. Because it'll, 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 it'll filter up more doubt. It'll filter up more questions that you've struggled with. Join me in this journey. But the first signpost I want you to see is that when Solomon declares there's nothing new under the sun and everything is meaningless, that it's a lie. And he was not speaking the truth. I know this book's in the Bible. I get that. And the Bible honestly, correctly records everything, even somebody else's brokenness and dishonesty. He was not declaring the truth. He was declaring how life feels and what he was experiencing if I disconnect from God. Let me pray with you and then we're going to dismiss this morning. Father, as we we start this conversation for the next nine weeks now and then Easter coming up and all of that, um, what I pray is that you help me and help us in this community navigate some of this choppy water of doubt that you help us wrestle with, perhaps, our questions and our faithlessness, what feels like faithlessness. It, we, sometimes we feel so wafer thin, so gray and fading, not transparent, but just wafer thin. And what we want to feel is the robustness of your presence in our souls to be energized by you, to believe once again, to experience joy, to experience pleasure, not just for the joy and pleasure's sake, but so so your life is flowing through us and ministering to and caring for others. And so to this end, we'll take this journey looking forward and our eyes focused on you. Not looking at the past, just moving forward, our eyes focused on you. Bring us home, I pray. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.